Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking to UFC lightweight Damian Beatdown Brown. He just got the fight announced at UFC Perth. He's taking on the maestro Dong Young Kim and Shaq. You already know Dong Young Kim. You remember that fight he had with Polo Reyes, that fight of the year? That was a that was a uh, instant classic. I mean, both men wobbled, both men were hurt, and uh, Polo pulled it off, but Maestro showed his heart. And now you know Damian Brown is coming off a fight of the year contender with Frank Camacho. I mean, those two stood and banged for three straight rounds, and now we get Damian Brown versus the Maestro Kim. I mean, that's going to be a hell of a fight, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I'm interested to see because we we know that both guys have an exciting fighting style, but we have seen Maestro be able to switch it up and you know score a little bit of points and win a decision i'm interested to see if damian brown can add that to his game but uh if not then we'll see uh who falls first yeah indeed i, I cannot wait for that and real quick man rafael dos años i mean how incredible did he look dude look i mean anytime you get two legends in there especially a former lightweight champion versus a former welterweight champion you think it's going to be a fight of the year candidate but dude it was a one-sided clinic I mean, yeah, you know, in my opinion, Rafael Dos Anjos, I know that he lost to Eddie Alvarez. I know that he lost to Tony Ferguson, but I feel like he has to be on the pound for pound list because when you go up and you're fighting guys that are so much taller than you, so much bigger than you, and you're the Tarek fight was a domination, the Neil Magny fight was a domination, and I mean, we saw what he did to Robbie Lawler, former champion, a guy, Robbie Lawler, that never breaks. We saw how discouraged Robbie was in there, and Rafael put an absolute clinic on him. You would think Robbie would be able to dominate the tie-ups, and Rafael showed him, no sir, and on the feet, the low kicks, I mean, Rafael consistently proves that he's one of the best fighters to ever do it, and uh, we'll see if he gets that title shot now. You know, John Anik made a great point on his podcast. He said that, I mean, this guy, if he becomes the first uh, Brazilian welterweight champion, because he's already the first Brazilian lightweight champion, that's a first ballot Hall of Famer right there. And, you know, for me personally, I was under the impression that, hey, the guy had an incredible career. He had the belt. He defended it. And, you know, he uh, moved up a weight class because, you know, you know how it gets when a fighter's at the end of their career. But it turns out he's really not at the end of his career. He might be the number one contender in the welterweight division now. Yeah, man, I mean. When he first went up to 170, you know, I had some my doubts about it. I was like, man, RDA is probably going to get crushed up there. And, you know, I felt like he had the right matches, but beating Robbie Lawler just solidified that the guy's skills are just elite, man. And, you know, I, you know, I do want Colby Covington to get that title shot against Willie just because the numbers are the, the numbers, uh, would do great, and I feel like him and Woodley coaching that tough show, I mean, that would be the most anticipated tough season of all time as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, you know, but Rafael, man, what can I say about that guy, man? I predicted his title run at 155. Things didn't uh, end the way it, uh, I wanted to, but uh, what he's doing at 170 is just impressive, man. Dude, that tie clinch, I mean... You know, it's one thing to have a great tie clinch. It's another thing when you're using it against a much bigger man like Robbie Lawler. One doesn't simply control Robbie Lawler up against that fence the way he was doing. I mean, you saw both of Robbie Lawler's wars with Johnny Hendricks back when Hendricks was in his prime. You know, the D1 All-American, and now uh, Rafael Dos Anjos is just controlling him like it was nothing. That 30-punch uh, combination he had. Yeah. It might have been 60 punches, <laughs> by the way, but uh, it was just such a masterful performance, and for someone to sit here and write the man off after that, it's just... It doesn't make sense because, dude, he's right up there. I mean, he could beat Woodley today. Who knows? Honestly, man. You know, Woodley, you know, I, I've said some things about Woodley, but look, Woodley's a great fighter. Woodley's a smart fighter, mostly. And Woodley, you know, even though his style's boring, the guy wins fights. He's smart. He knows how to win. So, you know, I do have respect for Woodley as a fighter, but I'm very interested to see how him and Dos Anjos uh, match up. Yeah, 100%. And, man. Josh Emmett shocked the world. He didn't shock us, but he shocked the world. He knocked out Ricardo Lamas. Now, 
We're going to talk about that incredible knockout here in a second, but man, a lot of people have been discredi discrediting Josh Emmett, saying, oh, you know, he had a disadvantage because he missed weight, and look, I know that the last six people to miss weight have all won their fights, but honestly, man, I think he would have won even if he made that 146 limit. Like we said on the podcast last week, we said, I think that Ricardo Lamas made a huge mistake taking this fight. I told you this when, remember we were sitting here and we uh, heard that Emmett got this fight. I said, I think Lamas made a big mistake taking this fight. I feel like Emmett's a natural 55er that's just tough and, you know, he'll cut the extra 10 pounds. And we saw what he did to Felipe Arantes, a guy that loves stand-up exchanges. He dropped him, set a record for knockdowns in a single round, 10-7 rounds. And I felt like we know historically the deal with Lamas. If you can touch that chin and put him out cold, he'll go down and... The performance was incredible, man. That was knockout of the year, in my opinion. I think it's a better knockout than, I think it's a better knockout than Marlon and uh, Aljamain, even though you know that was a great what about knockout. my boy Ganu and Ganu and over him. I think it was a better one just because like the way his head bounced off the canvas three times. And you know, no disrespect to Lamas. Lamas is one of the best featherweights of all time. But that's why I always say these guys have got to orchestrate their careers in a good way. When you're about to fight Jose Aldo and that and that you know falls through. In my opinion, I feel like you should get out, you know, wait, wait to see what happens. You know, maybe you get an Ortega fight. Maybe you get somebody else. Maybe you get Jeremy Stevens. And you took a fight against a big, stocky, musclehead wrestler from Alpha Male, which are already 0-2. You're 0-2 against his coach and his teammates. So 0-3 now, baby. 0-3 All by KO. All by KO. So, you know, I think Lamas made the, the wrong move here. So that just, you know, shows that these fighters have got to be smarter, orchestrating their careers. And it's okay to turn down a fight. 100% it is, man, and uh, man, that left hook, it, you know, it's interesting because this Lamas fight went down just like his other knockout losses. He looks absolutely incredible up until he gets caught. Yeah, that, that's pick, how the Mendes fight looked too. He'll pick you apart <laughs> until he gets caught, just like he was picking Castillo apart back in the WEC, and then Castillo found that overhand right, just like Mendes, but Emmett found the left hook, and you know, to be honest, I've been high on Emmett. You know, I know he lost to Dennis Green, but like we said, he's been, he was fighting, the, he's 5'6", he was fighting these guys that were 5'10", 5'11". And when he made the 45-pound debut, I was very interested to see if he could make the weight. You know, he missed it. But I think he's one of these guys that can't take short-notice fights. I mean, the guy's huge. He said he got up to 183 after the the week after the Felipe Aranches fight. So he needs a full camp. And I'm interested to see where it goes from here, man. I'd like to see him against a Cub Swanson and Ortega, even though I feel like Ortega is uh, right after, you know, gets the winner of uh, Frankie and Max. I wouldn't mind seeing Emmett and... Uh, Ortega, because I'm very interested. I know Ortega has the best Ortega has the best jujitsu in MMA, in my opinion, in terms of a guy that when he touches you, it's over. You know what I'm saying? And I'm interested to see if he can choke a muscle head and neck like <laughs> Emmett. And I'm interested to see how these 45ers handle Emmett's power. Like I said, when Emmett made that drop down to 45, I thought he was gonna end up sleep uh, creeping up on a lot of guys because I honestly don't think these 45ers are used to that power. Man, Emmett versus Ortega would be an absolutely incredible matchup. But also, if uh, Cub Swanson decides to stay with the UFC and he doesn't want to go over to Bellator, then hey, please give us Emmett versus Cub Swanson. That would uh, that would be uh, Max Bet season, but yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. And you know, interestingly enough, I thought this should have got fight of the night, but it didn't. Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Mike Perry. I mean, look, man, those two stood and banged for three straight rounds. It was unbelievable fight. And, you know, Santiago's so sneaky with those eye pokes, man. Like we said on the show, but, man, the ref didn't even see him. And even Mike Perry was like, ref, you poked me. Look, we said it on the show. If you're betting Perry, you got to be careful because the dirty Spanish tactics can be effective. And now I'm not saying 
Spanish people are dirty. I love Spanish people, but you know the the Spanish have a you know a, a history of this unboxing. You know with low blows and you know they're. That's just Santiago gets away with it every. Look fight. at my boy Maidana, who's from Argentina, <laughs> just know, like Ponzinibbio. Exactly, you know what I'm saying? It, it is what it is, man. You know Santiago. This ain't something new. Santiago does it every fight. You remember the Zach Cummings fights? Cummings eyes sold up, not from a punch, just because the eye pokes and the way he does it. You know the jab, slip, eye poked in the two, and you know Perry. Yeah, it is what it is. But I'm very high on Perry, man. Perry earned my respect even in the lead-up to the fight, man, because I love his mindset, and I love the adjustments he said that he was going to make after the fight. He said, after the fight, you know, I'm going to work on my cardio, and now I know that I can't always get the knockout, so now I'm going to learn how to rack up some points. So we know we saw a takedown in that fight against Santiago, whose takedown defense is very good, and uh, I'm very interested in where Perry comes from here. I think Perry will work his way back up into the top 15, and I think he'll uh, live to fight another day. And Perry hits like a truck. Anytime he connected on Santiago, Santiago would feel that shit. And man, Perry's gotten so much better, man. I'm kind of blown away. He's not in the top 15. I think that's kind of a joke, but you know, we know the deal with the rankers, man. They're, uh, you know, when, when you got Miles Jury in the top 15 at Featherweight <laughs> and the guy's only fought once since 2014, you know, it is what it is. But uh, I definitely think Mike Perry's a top 15 guy. And Ponzinibbio, look. Now you're a top five guy. Now let's see you up there with uh, some of the best, man. Let's see you up see, there with Colby. See, let's see you up there with T-Wood. Pons in there with, you know, Kamaru, Attil next. And I hope those guys take oh, the I fight like because, because, you know, Kamaru, he's talking about Colby, Colby this. And it's like, bro, don't you have a fight with Emil Mech? And, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to, you know, say my thoughts on that fight yet. You'll hear it in a few weeks. But, uh, you know, I'm very uh, interested to see where Pons goes from here. Six-fight win streak, five KOs. So uh, we'll see where Pons goes. Man, Glover Teixeira absolutely handled Misha Serkinov. I think uh, the hype train of Misha Serkinov has officially crashed. I think it's a uh, it's over with. Which we predicted, like we said, we felt that Misha is the type of guy if you put him in a bad spot that he'll fold, and that's exactly what happened. I felt like his stand up got a lot better, but it did. The second the second Glover got a hold of him and he got put in that bad spot, we saw what happened. And you know, Glover is getting up there in age, so you know, I feel like he is on the tail end. But the guy's a complete warrior. He's a vet. He's experienced. He's seen everything that you can possibly see in a cage and uh i'm interested to see who he fights next he, you know Manon was talking about uh he wants to fight glover but i mean he just got knocked out his last fight so you know i'm interested to see where glover goes from here as well it's such a thin division that they might as well go ahead and make that fight but man props to glover it's cool seeing an old man go out there and beat up the young buck and I'll tell you what, Misha Serkinov, I've always criticized his stand-up because it's super stiff and robotic, he but better. he got better, man. That work he's been putting in in Thailand, I can see the improvements. The only thing is you can't teach heart, and as soon as he got in a bad position, uh, he wasn't even trying to get out of it. I'll tell you what, he did fight off that choke, but once he got uh, stretched out, <laughs> face down, ass up, uh, you know, that was game, set, and match. Well, dude, let's, uh, let's hit a beat down Brown real quick, man, because he, he just got that fight with the maestro, and uh, let's have this exclusive interview with him. And joining me now on Half the Battle is UFC lightweight Damian Beatdown Brown. Damian, welcome back to Half the Battle. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Oh, man, the pleasure's all mine. So, dude, obviously you're coming off a fight of the year contender. It was fight of the night, one of the most exciting fights of the year. And we're going to talk about that in a sec, but it just got announced that now you're going to compete in your second fight of the year candidate in a row against Maestro Dong Young Kim. Uh, how'd you feel when you got the matchup to fight another fellow exciting lightweight? Well, I mean, it's kind of funny because I just agree uh, with the UFC to go to 145. And then three days later, I got offered a 155 fight. So, man, you know what? I'm super pumped. I don't care. I've been fighting 155 my whole career. I've had one 
at featherweight and two at welterweight, but uh, you know, predominantly at lightweight. And so I'm, I'm super happy to stay there. I'm pumped for this matchup. Um, hopefully, comes the guy that fought Polo Reese, and uh, we get a good scrap for the fans, man. That's, that's what I'm after. Man, I mean, what's your opinion of this fight with Polo Reyes? Because obviously that was an unbelievable war. Man, I remember watching that card. I, I don't know which card it was on, but I'm pretty sure it was a pay-per-view. And I know it was the opening fight of the card, and they got a fight, night, uh, fight of the night bonus. And I thought that was pretty sick, man. I mean, everyone knows that six or seven-hour card, you got to make a decent impression for people to remember you when it comes time to make that, uh, that decision on who gets the extra cash. So, um... The fight was nuts when I watched it, and, uh, you know, he showed a lot of heart, man, and, uh, and uh, a lot of grit to hang in there, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you drop each other a few times, someone's going to go down and stay down, and that's what happened, but, um, look, I hope that, uh, I hope that maestro turns up, man, and not the one that beat Brendan O'Reilly, because no one likes a boring-ass fight. <laughs> You know, you bring up a very good point, man, that they were the first fight of the night at UFC 199. They ended up winning the fight of the night, and that's the same card that Bisbing beat Rockle. That's the same card that Dustin Poirier beat Bobby Green. Dan Henderson beat Lombard. There were so many incredible fights. So just like you said, for that to win fight of the night, it says a lot. Now, I have a theory about the Brennan O'Reilly fight. Look, he was 0-2 in the UFC. He desperately needed a win, and he got it by any means necessary. But now that he's got that wiggle room, I think he feels more comfortable out there. You saw his last fight with Gomi. He stopped him in the first round. So do you think he's going to come out here and try to stand and bang with you, or do you think he's going to try to lay on you? Oh, man. You know, I don't really know, but um, look, there's a couple different ways to look at it. I mean, he's fight with Gomi. You can't read into it. Gomi lost five in a row. I don't know how many of those were by knockout, but I'm pretty sure he got knocked out in his last three or finished in the first round his last three or four. So, you know, no disrespect to anyone. Gomi's a legend. Um... But, uh, you know, he kind of got left out there to dry at the end of his UFC stint. So, um, you know, you can't, like I said, you can't read into that. But, obviously, he went back to striking, and that's what he lost to do. So, um, look, man, if he comes to bang, we're going to put on a show for the fans. And it's definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely going to get us some cash. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't worry about bonuses anymore, which is probably why I won one. You know, I, I used to think to myself, oh, 50 grand will change my life. You know, I put money on the house, buy another house, like something like that, you know. But they'd always put out a pressure on you to go out there and perform, and then you wouldn't perform. Or you would, and someone would outperform you. So um, I don't put that pressure on myself anymore. But, yeah, look, I, I think you're, you're right. Like, he, he did what he had to do to get a win against O'Reilly. Um, but... Man, I, I believe he's got um, some holes in the ground that I create scrambles. And if I create scrambles, I'll get back to my feet and put it on for the fence. So you mentioned you were thinking about going to 145 pounds. And uh, it's interesting you say that because this guy you're fighting now, he's actually one of the bigger lightweights on the roster. Would making 45 be, uh, you know, quite an ordeal for you? Or do you think you would have it down pat? No problem. No, nah, man, I'd probably just cut 10 pounds in the sauna and I'd be sweet. Um... Look, uh, you know, 145 is going to be a cut, you know what I mean? But, uh, I, you know, I use George Lockhart. He's well, obviously well-known in combat sports and and uh, nutrition industry. And um, he seems to think that uh, I can get there without losing any performance. I feel like I can get there. I get to 155, like, 
like easy man. You know what I mean? Like I can have cheap meals during my camp and I don't sit in the sauna like a cup water five weeks just through training, but I don't sit in the sauna, I don't sit in a hot bath, nothing man, you know, like if I can make one fifty five without cutting any water in the last twenty four hours then man, I, I can certainly make one forty five. So um I don't think it's gonna be a very big ordeal for me, so to speak. I think that uh It'll be a little bit extra hard work, probably the hard work I did before I had a nutritionist. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not a big deal. As for my opponent, I mean, man, I seem to get these fucking massive lightweights, right? <laughs> John Tuck, uh, Camacho, these guys aren't small, man. Like, they're strong, they're big, they're powerful, but, you know, man, one, one good shot on the chin and we all go to sleep, um, unless you're Camacho. But, uh, yeah, it's um, just takes a clean hit, you know what I mean? But um, I'm not really worried about the size of guys. They make the weight, they make the weight. Well, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up because your last fight, technically speaking, it was at welterweight. The guy weighed in at 160 pounds. But bottom line, you guys went out there, you stood and banged in the center for three straight rounds. And, I mean, what was your assessment of that fight? Because the fans loved it. Oh, look, man, you know, let me tell you a little bit about that fight. I didn't know he missed weight until like four or five minutes before standing on the scales. So when we stood on the scales, there was no fight. You know what I mean? We, it was a formality and a decision that still yet to be made. Um, five pounds is a lot of weight. To miss at lightweight, it's even more weight to miss when you're dropping from welterweight. Right? People don't really take that into perspective. So like when he drops from welterweight to make lightweight and misses by five pounds, he's not rebounding back to like 170, he's rebounded back to like 180, 185, you know what I mean? So, that five pounds is 10, 15 pounds difference on fight night, because I only go back to 170, man, you know what I mean? So, it's a, it's a massive difference the next night, compared to what it is on the scales. Um, but, man, first and foremost, we're fighters, I'm not a businessman, this, uh, this sport's full of businessmen these days who like to talk shit and not fight, so, um, and I, I, you know, I took the fight, I went out there, I took my chances, and um, I didn't pick up my win bonus, uh, I, didn't, I didn't pick up the win, but, you know, like I said, I think that, I think the fight was a win in every other aspect, uh, just not on, just not on paper, so, um, you know, he, he was super respectful, super professional, and very apologetic, uh, to the point where it was actually hard to be angry at the guy for missing weight, which sucks, but, uh, you know, he's a nice dude, and I wish him all the best in his future. If he stays at 155, hopefully he can, he can continue to make the limit. Um, but, yeah, man, it's going to be a hard fight for anyone if they're standing in front of him. So, he's, uh, you know, he's strong, man. I shot on a single, which I thought was uh, deep, perfectly timed. I was hitting it during training for two months. We knew it was going to work, and as soon as I hit it, man, he just stood there, so... There was a significant weight difference the next night, I can assure you of that. Were you surprised about his ground defense? Because there was one moment when you took his back and it seemed like it was about to be game, set, and match. He fought the hands really well, which was an improvement that he's made since his local scene days. Uh, were you surprised he was able to get out of that? No, not really. I mean, he's a brown belt. Uh, dude, I don't know about jiu-jitsu these days. He said he was a world, some world champion or something like that, and I've taken nothing away from people with those titles, but... Man, there's world champions everywhere in Jiu-Jitsu, but there's no world championships, right? Um, so, yeah, it's, 
It's, uh, you know, I, I just expected high-level grappling. Um, however, he likes to finish fights, so he leaves gaps, right? Because when he starts striking, he starts leaving gaps. And I knew that um, on the ground I'd be able to get back up, which I did the time, the once that he took me down, I got back up straight away. Uh, when I took his back, man, I, look, I tried to flatten him out. The dude's strong, man, you know, like he's got powerful hips, he's got a good core. When I tried to stretch him out, I just, um, I couldn't do it, man. I was a smaller man that night and uh, I was out-muscled. But, you know, the choke was deep at one stage and he did do a good job of fighting the hands. And uh, I just felt like even when I went for the short choke, he still just peeled the hands apart. So it was pretty impressive. But, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good fight, man, you know. If I had to finish it there and then, maybe we wouldn't have got an extra 50 grand. So... You mentioned earlier on the show how this was the first time that you stopped thinking about getting a fight of the night, and ironically enough, it materialized into a fight of the night. Can you kind of tell me about that mentality and how you know you got that away from your mind, and then it just happened anyways? Yeah, look, man. I mean, um, the minute you stop thinking about something, is the minute you drop the pressure, right? So, if you spend your entire career thinking about being the UFC champ and not winning the fights in front of you. You'll never win the fight that's in front of you because you're, what, you're worried about the greater picture. So you need to worry about the here and now. I mean, Robbie Law is a classic. I know he lost in the weekend. Dude's a legend, but favorite fighter of all time. Man, he always says, yeah, look, I'm not worried about the future. I'm just worried about now. I've got a job to do. He's got to say it, but he's one that says it every time. They ask him about the title. They ask him about this. They ask him about that. And he always says, I'm worried about what's in front of me and what's on the weekend. It's a classic way of thinking to release pressure. I mean, if you want to put pressure on yourself, just think during your whole fight camp, what 50 grand would do to your family. You know what I mean? If you don't own a house, you'd be like, oh, 50 grand is definitely going to buy me a house. Like, that's going to be my deposit for a house. That's a, that's like an immense amount of pressure. You know what I mean? Because that's going to change your life if you can buy a house. Whereas, if you just stop thinking about that, and you're like, eh, it'll come when it comes, I'll win one in every promotion I fight for, then... All of a sudden, you don't have that pressure to win one. You're just happy to go out there and punch on. You go out there and try and get the job done. Then things just happen for you, you know what I mean? Um, it's the same as when I was trying to get to the UFC. I used to think all the time about getting to the UFC and forget to think about the fight that was in front of me. As soon as I stopped thinking about the UFC, started thinking about the job at hand, I won five straight and my opportunity came. So, um, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to put these things behind you, but I think... We just need to sometimes forget about things. So when you first got into the UFC, you said that one of the things you wanted to do was, you know, build that awareness for the vets. And now that, you know, you have the platform that you're on, you're putting on fight of the year candidates. Do you feel like you've been able to impact those lives? Look, man, I've had some American veterans reach out to me. You know what I mean? They're just, man, I just hope that, uh, you know what? They don't even need to reach out. Man, I just hope that, just the simple fact that someone's raising some kind of recognition or, uh, you know, some kind of, you know, motivation for them is enough for them just to keep going that day. That's all I really care about. Like, I don't, I don't uh, you know, it'd be nice to be able to raise enough uh, awareness that people are, like, donating to them and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, I just want to be their motivation, man. You know what I mean? They don't have to be like me. I just want them to feel like they can do it. Whether that be go to the shops or get out of bed or, you know, 
get through that day. I just want to be the motivation for them to do that. So, man, if there's vets out there that are, that are watching my fights and going, holy shit, man, this dude's fucking doing it, then that's all I care about. So, um, yeah, man, I think, I think it's made an impact. I think it's made an impact in Australia for sure. And I think, just from what I've heard and from the feedback I've got, that it's making some small amount of impact in America, which is a large uh, number of people. So it's harder to, to raise that awareness. But, man, uh, yeah, I think it's definitely, it's definitely working and achieving my goal. So back when you knocked out Cesar Arzamendia in Atlanta at UFC 201, you know, we spoke after the fact and you said that you hadn't really talked much to Brian Stan yet. The reason I bring him up, obviously he's a vet as well. Now that you've been in the year, now that you've been in the UFC for over a year, I'm sure you guys have had some kind of conversation about this, right? Yeah, man, I talked to Brian Stan in New Zealand, maybe? I can't remember. I think it was New Zealand, which I think was maybe his last show, second last show. Um, man, what a gentleman! <laughs> he is awesome. But yeah, we did have a good chat. Um, exchange details. He told me to reach out if I needed anything, so I can have a chat to him. Uh, he's an unreal guy, um, and he's very good at what he does. And uh, I feel when the time's right, I'll um, I'll reach out to him and get some advice. So, Damien, obviously the main event of UFC Perth, the fight, the car that you're fighting on. Is the champ Robert Whitaker defending his belt against Luke Rockhold? Now, I have a feeling I know who you're going to pick in that fight, but how do you see it going down? Yeah, I think they'll fill it out in the first round and Whitaker will knock him out in the second. I think his ability to close the distance and Rockhold's upright sort of stance, like because he's more kickboxing, I feel it, uh, Whitaker's ability to close the distance so fast and get out again will be far too much for Rockhold to catch him. But you never know, man. It's an MMA fight. I just think that um, speed, power, and uh, and youth will probably help Whitaker get the job done, and I think it'll be second round after they feel it out in the first. Another incredible fight on that car is Juicy A Formiga versus Ben Ten Wen. Now I know Ben Ten, uh, the Australians love him over there. Uh, you think he's going to get it done here against the number five flyweight on planet Earth? Yeah, I think so, man. I mean, um, he's definitely. Look, obviously I've trained with him. He's got a he's got a fantastic game plan. Um, don't sleep on the guy, man. He, he's good on the ground. You know what I mean? So pe- people think, oh, Flamengo, you know, if he gets to the ground. Look, man, Ben's good on the ground. He's uh he's got a great ability of getting back to his feet. And um, I don't think if the fight goes to the ground, he's going to have any dramas down there. I think it'll be hard for Flamengo to get into the ground. He's got a real uh, unorthodox movement style and uh, very very accurate and he's got very good power at the end of his punches so um, yeah it'll be interesting to fight to see I think it's an exciting fight for the flyweight division look Damon you've had five fights in the UFC now is that last fight against Camacho was that the most fun you've ever had inside the octagon uh, in terms of a fight yeah definitely the most fun I've had um, in terms of victory it would have been the most rewarding we felt like we got it done um at worst, we felt like it was the draw, but we definitely didn't feel like we lost. Um, I think Australia is the only country you can go to and beat the hometown guy convincingly <laughs> on the judges' scorecards. Australian judges seem to love international fighters, so if you want to fight an Aussie and you want to get a dodgy win, 
Man, what do you think it is? What do you think it is? Are they not Australian, the judges themselves? Yeah, they are. They're dodgy as shit. Um, Australian judges, man, that wasn't a dodgy decision, trust me. I, uh, I didn't feel robbed at all. That fight was so close, man. I felt like it could have went either way, and I totally would have been happy with a draw. But um, Australian judges are like, they suck, man. I'm surprised they got the decision against John Tuck because... Australian judges are inexperienced and they tend to judge towards the international guy. I've seen it heaps of times, man. Um, they, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's funny. So, man, you, everyone says you shouldn't leave to the judges, but when you got someone walking at you like a zombie with a chin like Camacho, I mean, dude, we hit each other with everything. And every single shot we landed on each other was clean crisp and hard and neither of us drop so some fights just have to get left to the judges you know yeah 100% do you think it's a case where they almost want to prove that they're not biased so therefore they give the close decision to the other guy uh, I don't know man I've got no idea how judges think um, that's why I'm a fighter but you know I definitely felt I won two out of the three rounds and it's funny because we thought we won the first two and everyone told me I won the first and the third so Man, you know, that, that, that just goes to show how close the fight really was. Like I said, I would have been happy with the draw. Um, I'm disappointed that I got the loss in such a close fight against someone this way. But um, that's a whole other story. The penalty's bullshit. And uh, I think that there needs to be heaps of change there. The 30% fine he got should have been on, the, on his capacity to make any money in that fight, like his earning capability. And it should have been a double bonus for me. Like, but... Uh, you know, like like I said, I took that fight for three thousand dollars. I mean, that's all I made. I lost. I put on a fight of the night. Awesome. I made fifty extra grand, but that's not a guarantee. The only guarantee in that fight was that I would make my money, win or lose, and three thousand dollars. Fuck man, that is shit, right? But I took it because I'm a fighter. That's what I do. I'm not there for money, man. You know, money's nice, but uh. You know, I've got a life outside of fighting, and I don't need the money. It's uh, it's nice. It'll certainly make my life easier, but it's not a necessity. So um, I get to enjoy fighting, and uh, and that's what I did that night. You know, I took a fight, I enjoyed it, and um, it is what it is. Yeah, and look, at least amount I may cut out because I'm just running out of reception. Okay, cool. We'll make it quick. So, speaking of bullshit, and and I'm sorry to bring up negative stuff, and I'm usually a guy that always defends the UFC. So I'm watching the post-fight show. Karen Bryant says, you got a double bonus because your opponent missed weight. So you're supposed to get the 100K. I messaged you. I'm like, bro, you got the 100K. And then uh, it turns out what they said on the post-fight show wasn't true. You only got the 50. Now, I think it's total bullshit. I'm sure you do too. I mean, is it almost like a slap in the face at all, man? Man, um, you know what's probably more of a slap in the face is that Ryan Benoit fought on a tough finale. I don't know when it was, man, but it's published and the, and the story's out there. You just got to Google it. And he got paid a hundred grand because his opponent missed weight. So like the precedent's been set that if your opponent misses weight or isn't eligible and you win a fight night bonus, then you get you get both. You know what I mean? So the precedent's been set. So you think you're gonna get it? They announce that you're gonna get it, man. I screamed on the bus. I was like, won a hundred grand. Like, dude, that is 
for a guy that gets paid thirty-two thousand dollars for a win, that's a massive deal. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's uh, it would have been a big deal, but um, I don't see it as a slap in the face, man. But it certainly would have rewarded me and made my decision to take the fight. Uh, in my head, it would have made made me feel like I made the right decision. But um, yeah, it's I mean it's frustrating, you know. But I'm you know. The previous owners paid $2 million for the UFC. The current owners paid $4.2 billion. You work it out. Yeah, exactly, man. And another example is uh, the whole Brian Caraway and Pat Healy thing. But anyways, man, we'll talk about the positive. Now you got this fight with the maestro Dong Young Kim. We all think it's going to be another contender for fight of the year, just like your last fight. If it were up to you, man, how would this fight go down? Oh, if it was up to me, man, we stand on the feet till one of us drops. And uh, that wouldn't be me. And then, uh, man, look, I think I think I can finish him in the second. Um, but we'll see how it goes. We'll, we'll see how it, uh, it works out. But I feel like I feel like I've got the tools to get the W. I feel like I've got the tools to get the finish. And um, man, if he if he brings if he brings his game, then uh, we're definitely going to give the fans a, a a fight to to give them their value for money. So. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be an exciting fight. Um, I think even if he takes me down, it'll be an exciting fight. So look out for the second round finish. Well, Damien, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battles. Always a pleasure. The fans can follow you at Beatdown155. Damien, any message for them before we go? Um, yeah, look, guys, it's a, it's a lonely old world out there when you're depressed. So make sure you reach out to your family and friends over the Christmas period. Uh, it sucks being alone, and uh, even the happiest people are depressed on the inside. So make sure you reach out to them. No one wants to be alone at Christmas, and give your uh, give your fellow vets some love. Thanks, guys. Damien, thanks so much, brother, and uh, best of luck in training camp. All right, man. Take it easy. Hey, chat soon. Man, uh, beat down Brown versus Maestro Kim. That's going to be a hell of a fight, isn't it? Yeah, man. Damien Brown brings it every single time. He's one of those guys where you have to tune in when he fights because the Cesars and India fight. You know, a clean KO. And then, you know, the Frank Camacho fight. John Tuck The John fight. Tuck fight. I mean, all of his fights, even the Pachel fight, it's always going to be some type of excitement. And uh, you have to watch when this guy fights. And I feel like he's kind of cemented himself as one of the most exciting fighters in the lightweight division. Because before, it was kind of a thing where, like, yeah, he's exciting, but, you know, does he win? You know, this or that. But now it's like, bro, if you get Damian beat down Brown to fight inside the octagon against anyone, it's going to be a fight of the year candidate. I mean, you saw the fight with John Tuck. You saw the fight with Frank Camacho. Even the fight with Vince Pichel, it was turning out to be a serious war. He happened to get caught. It is what it is. Every warrior does get caught from time to time. But now you put him in there with Maestro Kim. You all remember the fight between Maestro Kim and Polo Reyes. And, dude, if that fight's any indication, I think uh, Damian Brown and Maestro Kim are going to have, you know... A knock uh, for the ages. Beatdown Brown's going to have his second straight <laughs> fight of the year candidate in a row, so I can't wait to see that. And, dude, let's let's go back and talk about these prelims last week real quick because, man, Jan Blankovic, uh, he shat on everyone's plans by defeating Jared Cannonier. And I saw Jared Cannonier. You know, a lot of people were super confident in him, but, you know, he, uh, he didn't come through for them, did he? Like we said, we said Jan's the better fighter here in every aspect of the game. We told you that he was on Meldoni, and we told you that he was uh, seeing a new Polish doctor. And it's funny because Jan really wanted to quit in that fight. It was just that K1 
Cannonier didn't possess the skills to put him in those spots. And, uh, you know, Jan, of course, will fade on Jan when he fights another wrestler. But, you know, that wasn't the time. And it was a good win for Jan. It seems like he's got his shit together as for right now. And, uh, you know, I'm interested to see who, who he fights next. I see a lot of people suggesting that he that we see like a veteran versus prospect and uh dominic reyes versus Jan. so uh, i don't know i don't know if uh dominic reyes is ready for that what about Jan blankovich versus glover to share that's a great fight as well man so, I-, I like that better than glover versus manuel honestly honestly you know i feel like manuel needs to work his way back up um but Jan, like i said be careful because he's in prime form <laughs> right now he's got a new doctor be careful Fede. it's funny <laughs> seeing uh manuel say that no one wants that smoke uh Volcan wanted that smoke. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, uh, bro, Chad Lepree, he handled Galore Bufano. It was interesting because we never seen Chad Lepree overcome adversity. You remember that time against Ronaldo where he got knocked down, he gets back up, then he pulls guard. This time he got knocked down, he got back up, and he took the guy down. And once he took him down, that was all she wrote, man. Galore Bufano had zero answer off his back. And, you know, on the regional scene, he did have an answer, but this ain't the regional scene no more. This is the UFC. Well, yeah, Chad Lepree is just a far superior fighter, and we knew where Buffondo could uh, could capitalize, and he wasn't able to. And Lepree showed him one takedown, and this fight was going to be over. And hey, Lepree, man, I guess that move up to 170 was a good move for him. I guess he couldn't make the 155 pound weight. And uh, Lepree, I'm interested to see where he goes from here. 15 and two, and a uh, tough winner showed that he can, you know, get that takedown and. Uh, you know, the stuttering king lives on. <laughs> Nordin Taleb earned all 59 seconds of his uh, performance of the night bonus when he knocked out Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. And, man, I did not see that coming at all. I thought they were going to have a three-round back-and-forth fight where both guys get to show off multiple parts of their game. And Nordin literally just ran through him. Nordin's no slouch, man. Nordin's one of the most underrated guys at 170. His only losses are to Worley Alves and... Santiago. And Santiago. And, I mean, that fight with Santiago was very close. A razor-thin decision. So, he is on that level on the given day. So, don't sleep on Nordin. I want to see him fight Bilal Muhammad next. And uh, I want to see whoever wins that fight, you know, possibly be right on the cusp of the top 15 because Nordin is no slouch and Bilal is no slouch. No, 100%. And if uh, they have another matchup for Bilal, because I know I had something in mind. I can't remember right now. But I did have something in mind for Bilal Muhammad. I think Nordin and Chad Lepre could, uh, you know, a little a little tri-star bragging rights. You know what I mean? <laughs> Exactly, and uh, you know it's funny. Nordin was saying some weird things. He said that he might go up to one eighty five. Or the guy's huge, and he's thirty seven. And he, you know, he's saying he's struggling to make this weight now. And he, this was the last fight in his contract, but I'm sure they'll resign him. But hopefully, he can just suck it up and you know cut down one seven. A hundred percent, they'll resign him. And you know, it's funny. I heard his interview, and all the media members are like, "So are you going to test the market?" And Nordin's like, "I worked my whole career to get into the UFC. Why would I slap them in the face and?" do all that i just want to work out a better contract and you know stay with the ufc for the rest of my career and i applaud him for that man because you see these guys like cub swanson who get 80k to show and it's like bro you would get 80 and 80 plus a 20k reebok bonus and you're talking about going to bellator i got news for you cub the grass ain't greener on the other side my friend go ask benson henderson how that's working out for him so uh yeah cub uh, you should probably stick around here where they're actually paying you last but not least Alessio DiCirico knocked out Oluwali Bangbose. Now, it's funny. This is the only fight that we had a bet on, and I was under the impression that, all right, as long as we survive these first three minutes, we're going to win the fight. Now, we survived the first three minutes, and we won the fight, so that went according to plan, but 
Oh, look, Wally didn't even have a storm for us. We didn't even have to weather shit. You know, you know, I'm glad that we did cash the bet. It's unfortunate that I, you know, pushed out of putting more of it. I was actually in the process of putting more in it, and then I changed my mind and told myself to calm down because I have a big opportunity for UFC 219. But, uh, you know, Alessio took care of business, and I really wasn't that shocked because, like I said, I don't feel like Ala Wally had it, you know, what it takes mentally to keep his spot in the UFC. I felt like the guy was a mental midget. I thought he was mentally fragile. And, you know, yeah, he's explosive. But when your mind is, you're battling your mind in that cage and you're fighting a, a Italian warrior like Alessio DiCirico, I feel like, you know, it was easy money. And it turned out to be very easy money. I mean, we were the storm. He wasn't even the storm. We came at him. He didn't want to fight. So Alessio, you know, now he's the current king of Italy. And uh, we'll see Marvin Vittori is fighting. So we'll see if Marvin takes the spot of the king of Italy. But right now, Alessio is the king of Italy. A hundred percent. And uh, what do you say in this post-fight speech? Uh, buddy boo, buddy boo. <laughs> he's the fucking man. And look, you know. I'm kind of pissed at myself because I told you guys about how, you know, we, we had insider information about how Oli Wally went to these other gyms and he quit in training. So we should have just max bet Alessio. But, man, right after the fight, Oli Wally retires. I'm like, wow. So that was literally my last chance to fade this guy. And I fucking left money on the table even though I had a winning night, my fifth winning event in a row. So, you know, it kind of hurts. But next week there's a massive opportunity and I cannot wait. And real quick, man, Jordan Meehan, you know, coming off three straight losses, uh, he put on a clinic on Eric Silva. It was kind of sad. You know, look, Eric Silva does get his ass kicked a lot, but this time there wasn't even like a two-minute storm at the beginning. This time it was, uh, he, he looked like a shell of himself out there. Yeah, Jordan Meehan, that was a perfect fight for him to get back on track. Eric's completely done. Honestly, I don't want to see Eric in there taking too many more beatings because if you're going to feed him to these young prospects, I mean, it's only going to get worse. And Meehan, Meehan honestly took it easy on him, in my opinion. Imagine what these other young kids would Imagine do. Imagine me in three years ago. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They would floor him right off the bat. So I don't want to see Eric Silva in there taking any more beatings. He's had a great career. One of the most exciting fighters, you know, in the last, you know, five years. And uh, I feel like he just needs to hang him up or just cut him. Yeah. Uh, sad reality of the fight game. Well, Shaq, it's been fun breaking down or recapping that epic UFC on Fox car. Damian Beatdown Brown is a great guest. And, man, we're just going to keep killing it. We got a lot of stuff coming up. We got an exclusive interview with Alex the Spartan White in the works. So I can't wait. I haven't heard anyone else interviewing Alex White. So, you know, we got that opportunity. And I can't wait to speak with him. Follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. Shaq, any message for them before we speak next week? No, man, just thanks for the good messages. Thanks for the support. And uh, we got big things coming next week with uh, UFC 219. And we got uh, some big things coming in 2018. 100%. Next week, it's Max Bet season. Follow me on Twitter at BestFightPicks. Go to BestFightPicks.com for the play. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews on iTunes, and uh, we're just going to keep killing it. That's all it is, you know? When I was on that skid, people saying I didn't have it anymore. Well, now I'm on a five-event win streak because this is a long-term game. You don't get discouraged from a couple L's. You uh, you take uh, the big picture, and you run with it, and that's what exactly what we're doing. 2018 is going to be a huge year. Next week's going to be a huge week, and, uh, man, I can't wait to unveil all the things that we've been working on behind the scenes. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.